know your enemies, and know your friends. A study of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, if you would think of the books of the Bible that you are familiar with, the book of Hebrews may not be at the top of your list. You might know a few Bible verses that come from it, but other than that, the book of Hebrews may feel like a bit of a mystery to you. And that's something that, with God's blessing, we are going to work to undo. And especially as a Christian who's interested in knowing everything that God has to say to me, the book of Hebrews holds a special place in that regard. Finally, all of the books of the Bible are useful for Christians, even as they have the message of God for those who do not yet believe in Christ. But the book of Hebrews is special in that it identifies some temptations that are unique for Christians. It was written to a very specific group of believers in the Lord who were facing some challenges that were incredibly dangerous. The book of Hebrews is one where we are not 100% sure about who wrote the book. The early church uh, was very confident that this had apostolic authority, that it was the inspired words of God himself. But as to the actual author, there some thought it was the Apostle Paul, others thought it was maybe Apollos or Barnabas. They, I don't know if they just like went through famous people that were in the New Testament and thought, well, maybe they wrote the book. The bottom line is that we don't know who wrote the book. As far as who got the book, if you were to take a guess, you might think about the title of the book and say, I think it's Hebrews. And you're right, as best we know, it, it has lots of little pieces that would indicate this book was written to a group of Jews who now had come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Certainly there could have been some Gentiles that received it as well, but a group that was very familiar with Judaism, very familiar with the Old Testament. There's a little story, though, that kind of comes into play when we think about why, why was this letter written to this group of primarily Jews? They had gone through some very difficult times. Uh, they had been persecuted because of their confession for Christ. People had lost things. They had maybe lost their home. There were individuals within their community who were put into prison uh, for their confession of the Lord. So they had been like strong in the face of great challenge. And, and then something happened. And we don't know all that happened. If there was like feeling a little sense of relief when the persecution let off and then paying less attention to the word of God, in some way they began to view Jesus as not as important as they once had viewed him. Some kind of a, just a drift or uh, no longer being committed from the heart that Jesus was the one and the only one. So here we have God stepping in and saying, I love you guys. I, I don't want bad things to happen to you as those who have been faithful to the Lord and have loved him a ton. There are things in the book of Hebrews that address temptations that are unique to Christians who have been Christians for a while. Perhaps that speaks to you somebody who has been uh, a believer in Jesus by God's grace for a time, what are some of the temptations that you face that are maybe unique because you are a Christian and have been for a long time? We're going to be looking at the theme, know your enemies and know your friends. 
This will serve as sort of a map through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to identify four big enemies over the course of the chapters, and then also four things that are at the core of a proper friendship, so that by the time we're done, each of us is equipped to better fight the good fight, to recognize the enemies that we're facing, and with God's help, take them down. When you think about the enemies that you face in your life right now, spiritual dangers, what comes to mind? What are the temptations that you are struggling with? Do you struggle with pride? Is it perhaps a spirit of competition where you get angry at people at work because they're doing better than you are and that makes you mad? Lust? Uh, frustration with a child not knowing what to do to help them and you're not just curious and looking to the Lord for guidance but you're kind of angry about it? Have you been assuming the worst about people where you know it's wrong but you know you don't like them so you'll do whatever you can to give yourself good reasons not to like them? It's interesting, isn't it, when we think about our spiritual lives that each of us has a life that is so different from other people. There are unique things that you're struggling with that maybe a lot of other people aren't struggling with. At the same time, there are issues that we face in our world that in some ways tie Christians together. Maybe we're all feeling this temptation to conform in a way that isn't appropriate, to kind of give in to the pressures, to change our God-given sense of morality, where like we know things are wrong, but then if we actually say that it's wrong, even though it comes from such a loving heart and we want to be a blessing to people, can others say that you're being unloving when you know you're not? And so then what happens? Maybe you're tempted to keep your mouth shut. Like, I am just not going to talk about this stuff ever. Or maybe just gradually you start to wonder whether you're believing the right thing. And so you, your, your attitude starts to change just a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't be so strongly opposed to whatever it is. There are temptations that Christians face more broadly. There are enemies that are working to undermine our confidence in the word of God. To recognize that you, that I, face spiritual dangers is now to be interested in knowing how can the book of Hebrews help me take on those spiritual dangers. And we're going to find out. There was something maybe unique, at least not totally, but it stood out. This was a spiritual danger that the Hebrew Christians were facing. But first, we're going to start off with an introduction to the book of Hebrews that is written by the author of the book of Hebrews. It starts off in chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now you listened to me read that. Has it ever felt like when you hear a section of the Bible, like you know it's in English? But exactly what did that mean? There was a lot in there. Trying to understand the connections. It, 
just stepping back and looking it over again, you might have your Bible open and you could read those words again. But just to give you a kind of quick little capsule summary of what was just said here, he starts off by saying God spoke. So in the past, he spoke through prophets in the Old Testament, and now he has spoken through his son in the New Testament, through Jesus. Now, Jesus, amazing, right? Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is God. Fully, completely, he is eternal. There was never a time when he was not. And other amazing things that he came to earth to purify uh, from sin, us, he provided that purification, then sat down at the right hand of the Almighty in heaven, and that's ascension. And what that means is that, well, he, he came down from heaven, right? And then he goes back to heaven because mission completed. His work was done. So to know that Jesus ascended is to know that we are forgiven, that our sins, the sins of the world have been paid for. And then he finishes off with something about angels, that he's better than angels. And that I wonder, hmm, like, how did that come up in this? I thought we were just saying good things about, about Jesus and just in general, right? There's a reason for that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But when you hear what Jesus is like, in your own mind, think of one of those descriptors and then ask yourself, what's comforting about that? Like, why is it good for me to know that, what? Through Jesus, God made the universe. Well, that says something about Jesus, that he is amazingly powerful. Is that a comfort for you? To know that when you are on the side of the Lord, you are on the side of the one who was making the world come into existence. Or that he is God, fully God. The one who gave his life for you is forever. Does that comfort us? That to, to know Jesus loves you is to know that God, God is on your side. Jesus is on your side. Or the fact that he sustains all things by his powerful word. When you think of God's word, what do you think about? Do you think about, let there be light, where God just said it and it happened? Do you think about the word of God in your own life and how you are reading the Bible and that that's something that's powerful? Right? And it is. God doesn't just ask us to read the Bible because like, it's something you got to check off a little box. He, he wants us to hear his word because his word is, is power. It's kind of like when you read your Bible, you're plugging in to the power of God for salvation to assure you that your sins are forgiven, to give you confidence and joy and living a life that, that honors God. Right? You could take a lot of those little pieces that describe Jesus and say, Oh, like to know that is to be at peace. That's all good. But did you notice what was really the key angle that the writer to the Hebrews follows in verses 1 to 4? Maybe take another look at it or just hear these words. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken through his son or spoken to us by his son. What's... God focusing on that he has talked to us that he talked to you does that blow your mind that God talks with us what if it happened in the garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned that God just pulled away like never said another thing never what would we 
do? What, what would we think? What would we... If you have no idea what God's design is, what God has done, if you're just living in complete darkness, blindness, what do you do? Well, in some ways you do what so many people in, in, in our, on our earth do, and that is they try to guess, they, they feel some inner drive to please God, but they don't know exactly how you're supposed to please God, but they, everything kind of becomes relative because it's just people talking about what they think God might want, and then how do you ever know, right? And, and, and in some, some ways, isn't that the world we live in, that people are saying that nobody can ever know what God says and if you claim that you do know what God says then you're being arrogant and you're being unloving and you've maybe heard those words and if God had not spoken not a one of us would have any idea we would be lost life would be hopeless we do our best but in the end it's pointless what a miracle that God has spoken he spoke to the people in the Old Testament. He has spoken through Jesus to the people in the New Testament, including to us. We have his voice. Sometimes people talk about, like, God spoke to me, or how I wish that God would just come right out and tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? If maybe you've even thought about those things yourself. The fact is that God has spoken to you. And not in some, like, direct message for you. He's given a direct message to every one of us in the scriptures. To open up your Bible is to find out all the things that you've ever wanted to know. Everything that's important. Everything that you need for life and godliness. Does that make this book, the Bible, precious? Absolutely. And as we think about Enemies and friends, precious in a way that maybe goes beyond what at this point you're thinking. In verses 5 to 14 of Hebrews chapter 1, the writer goes on to describe basically a competition. Now, I don't know in your home if you've ever had arm wrestling, maybe between your kids or that kids want to arm wrestle their parents or whatever. So the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 is kind of like that. It's kind of this arm wrestling competition. And see if you can figure out who it's between. So I'm just going to give some summary thoughts here. <clears throat> Starts off, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? So did they ever get called that by God? Jesus is the son of God, but with the angels... God says, let all God's angels worship the Son. So Jesus gets called the Son. The angels, they worship Jesus. And next, angels are servants. But the Son, your throne, O God, will last forever. Oh, the Son has a throne. The, the Son is God. The, the, the Son is going to last forever. Angels, servants. Jesus, king, on a throne, God. So we start off, son, worship the son. Then servants, angels are servants. Jesus is the king. And he's not done. Jesus laid the foundations of the earth. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. To Jesus, the father said, sit at my right hand. Ascended into heaven, victorious. Angels, servants. 
Jesus won salvation for the world. Angels are servants to God's people for whom the Lord has brought forgiveness. You kind of get the... So if this was an arm wrestling competition, who's on both sides? Jesus is on one side. The angels are on the other. What happens every time they compete? Slam! It's no contest. Jesus wins by far. In fact, there is no ability for the angels to come even close. Jesus is the winner every time. Why? Why does Jesus win in this competition against the angels? Like, you might be wondering, angels, like, how did they get brought into this? And it seems that the Hebrew people that the writer was writing to were attracted to angels in a particular way. Maybe even in our own day, there's a lot of interest in angels. And maybe if people don't love Jesus, but they'll, they'll say, well, you know, but I believe in angels or something like that. So it's something going on with the, the Hebrew Christians of that day. And the writer feels, I need to take this on directly. Like, who is more important? If you're losing your love for Jesus because of angels, that's a problem. But why does Jesus win? He wins because he's more powerful. He is God. How can you win against God? If you're arm wrestling with God, how can you ever have the hope that you don't even think of this in the same terms? That may seem obvious. Of course, angels will not win against God. What I'd like you to imagine, though, is a 14-year-old boy. When you imagine competitors trying to vie for his heart, they, they want his respect, they want his honor, they want his love, they want his devotion. So it's not a question of Jesus and angels vying for the devotion of the Hebrew Christians, but what is it that vies for the devotion of a 14-year-old boy? Well, for some of you, you might remember being 14 years old. Maybe you've had a 14-year-old boy. Some of you will never know what it's like to be a 14-year-old boy. But can you imagine? <clears throat> Video games. Sports. A girl. Wanting to be popular. Trying to fit in trying to look cool, trying not to give the impression that you are trying to look cool. Like what, what pulls at the devotion and the honor of a 14-year-old boy? A lot of things. And if I were to ask you what pulls at your devotion, what wants honor from you, what wants commitment from you and your time, would you come up with some things that are different than Jesus? Have you felt inside your heart an attraction to something that you know is wrong? Have you felt inside your heart a spirit of competition that is looking at work to put people down and not build them up? Because if you build them up, they might get the promotion instead of you. Have you struggled in your relationships where you assume the worst about people? Have you wanted money? Have you been dead set focused on better car, better home, better lifestyle? And if Jesus was a part of your life, it 
seems to be becoming a smaller and smaller part of your life? What's pulling at you? What's trying to arm wrestle for control in your life? As a Christian, you know that Jesus is arm wrestling for you. And when Jesus comes up against these other things which are so attractive to the human being, to our sinful flesh, you might be interested in knowing what God's strategy is to defeat the competition, to defeat those things that want to take us away from Jesus. What does God do to take on the angelic competition in the minds of the Hebrew Christians? Power, power, power. Position, position, position. If you're struggling to know what is the better focus for your honor and devotion, for your time and your energy, and you're weighing earthly success, better job, versus commitment to Jesus, your Savior. It is no competition because anything earthly gets crushed by the power and love of Jesus. He's greater. He's more powerful. He made the world. He gave up his life for the world. How does God defeat the competition in your life? By reminding you of who's the greatest. Now you might be reflecting and saying, you know, to be honest, there have been times when I have not thought that way. I, have, I know I've made other things the greatest. I've seen some of the pain that that brings. It tears me up inside. And maybe even tears you up. The Lord Jesus, who came on a mission of forgiveness, took all those sins and made them his. He has died, paid the price, suffered the punishment for everything that you and I have done wrong. The Lord wants you to know that. We are talking about Jesus, who is our Savior. And he wants you to know something else. When you are engaged in this fight, against all of these other desires to pull you away from Jesus. Now, as a forgiven child of God, the new person inside of you is so excited for God to say, hey, you beat these opponents by reminding them that God is greater. There is nothing in all creation that is greater than God. So if it wants to get your devotion and honor, you can say, no way. <laughs> like, I'm, all of my devotion and honor belong to my creator to the one who bought me, paid a price for me, forgave me. The competition is beaten because God is always greater. There's a big lesson that comes from that, that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than anything else in all of creation. And that's found in chapter 2, the first four verses. Now, in the Greek, the first two words essentially say, because of everything I've just told you, and so now we're going to get God's big point from this. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, 
How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, there's a lot there. You might be looking at it in your Bible. Just a quick summary of each of the verses. Because of everything I've just said, it is really important to listen, to remember, to think about what we have heard. The danger is drifting. If this doesn't seem serious enough, remember how, and we don't know exactly how the angels played a role in the giving of the Ten Commandments, but somehow they played a role. And what God says is when God gave a message to humanity at the time of Moses, there were huge consequences to blowing that off. If God has given a message to humanity through Jesus Christ, his only son, just imagine what the consequences of blowing that off are. This salvation, the writer to the Hebrews says, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And this makes us think that the writer was not one of those original 12. And then explains that God, when people were sharing the word, that God stepped in and signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, that at the beginning of the church, all of these special things were happening to make it clear to those who were listening, what these guys are saying is the word of God himself. Remember that first verse. So that we do not drift away. Pay attention. The picture painted by the words drift away is helpful for Christians why? That word might make you think of being in a boat in a river, and you know that if you don't do anything, you float downstream. Is it possible that you as a Christian, and maybe because of the world we live in, the power of your own sinful flesh, you've just gotten tired of fighting? You've gotten tired of taking on the things that you know are a problem. You think, I'm just going to stay a Christian. I'm just going to kind of go along. For a Christian not to fight is for a Christian to drift. And for a Christian to drift is to come up to the waterfall and finally plunge over the edge. For a Christian to be defeated. For a Christian to be crushed. A Christian who is weary of fighting against the sinful flesh, against the wickedness of the world around us. The Christian who is tired of fighting. The Lord says, fight. Fight with all of God's might. Again, as a forgiven child of God, you know that you don't want to be pulled downstream. What God asks of you is, so what does that paddle look like? So what has to happen as you think you're making no progress, but you're fighting. You're, you're fighting the current that is wanting to pull you away from the Lord. And you don't want to be pulled away from the Lord. And you know that you love Jesus. And you know that the writer to the Hebrews is right. If I don't do anything, I, I drift. What is your paddling? What does that look like? Remember that God is all-powerful. His word applies his power to our lives. At the heart of your paddling is studying the Bible, 
It's, it's listening to conversations like this. Not only are you hearing God's word as you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is powerfully working on your heart. And as the Holy Spirit works miracles through the power of the word, you are so eager to thank God for that, to say, Dear Lord, thank you for that promise. I trust that promise. Keep that promise, Lord. You've said you will. You must. That as we pray, we are speaking back to the God who has spoken to us. We're telling him we love him. We're telling him we trust him. We're casting all our anxiety on him. We are paddling as we drink deeply of the word of God, which then has the impact of leading us to remember that we depend on God for every blow that is struck against the enemy. Although when you read the word of God, you might be thinking, okay, like, so am I just supposed to read like five verses and then I'm done and that's fighting the devil. And absolutely, the Holy Spirit works as you read. But it's not just kind of a mindless reading that a core to a Christian's fight is seeing the enemy. If, if you'd agree that maybe you've been drifting a little bit in your faith, that's called confession. You say to the Lord, I have sinned against you. I thought I could just keep kind of sliding along. I haven't been fighting, Lord. That's wrong. I've hurt myself. I've hurt other people. But most important, I have offended you. As the Lord crushes us with his law, reminding us of our sin, then we are to remember what Jesus came to do. To make our sin his, to wipe the slate clean in the sight of God. That in your baptism, you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That as you were brought to faith through the word of God in your baptism or at another place, you know that what is true for the world is true for you. Your sins have been paid for. Absolution. Confession. Absolution. Knowing that you're forgiven. This is the core of paddling with your family, you as parents giving great examples, just personally. This is the fight. The enemies are great. You have experienced them in your own life. But remember, our Savior Jesus Christ is greater. Our Savior does a body slam to all of those who might compete for our love, our devotion, our honor. Jesus Christ is the perfect, the awesome, the all-powerful Savior of the world. Your Savior too. No competition. I know my enemies, but I also know my friend. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us see clearly the danger of drifting. Help us realize all the more that Jesus is not just a wonderful, powerful, but he's a loving, forgiving. He is our Savior, God. Help us love him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and through that, to say no to the flesh, to the world. To the devil. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.